You are listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Well, if you have Bibles, we are going to be in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5 this morning. We are uh, continuing our series in the Beatitudes. Matthew 5 in those uh, black hardcover Bibles can be found on page 809 in uh, most of those Bibles, uh, at least. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the, uh, the Welsh theologian and pastor, he once wrote, the Christian gospel places all its primary emphasis on being rather than doing. A Christian is something before he does anything. We have to be Christian before we can act as Christians. And that truth is a, is a fundamental difference between Christianity and other religions. But that truth is also at the heart of being people that pursue mercy and justice, like we're talking about this month. Christians aren't just people who do merciful things or do just things. Christians are people who at an identity or being level are Jesus's merciful and just people. So as I mentioned this month, we're, we're looking at the Beatitudes, uh, which are found in Matthew 5 at the beginning of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Beatitudes really are Jesus teaching his disciples who they are. It's Jesus teaching his disciples who they are. He's not giving people a checklist of things to do in order to become his followers. He's, he's teaching them what their new identity as people who have already become his followers, what that's going to look like as it's now lived out. So far uh, in the series, we've seen that Jesus's disciples are poor in spirit. The only way anyone can ever enter the kingdom of God is by realizing that they can't earn that and they can't buy their way in. We come with nothing in our hands and we receive everything through Jesus. We've also seen that Jesus's disciples mourn. We grieve our sin. We grieve the condition of our world and we are comforted by the God of all comfort. Last week, then we saw that Jesus's disciples are meek. Jesus's disciples are meek. We, we become so confident in our identity that we are free to use our power mercifully, not selfishly or, or harshly or arrogantly. And then we also saw last week that Jesus's disciples hunger and thirst for righteousness. When we become Christians, our appetites change. We long for personal holiness uh, we long for the justice of God to come to bear in the world. And that hunger and that thirst that we have is satisfied, is satisfied in Jesus. So today we're going to look at these next two Beatitudes uh, in verses seven and eight of Matthew five. Uh, but each week in order to help remind us that all of these things go together, they're not these disjointed one-off kind of statements, but really one thing. Uh, I want to start back in verse one. So I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. This is Matthew five and beginning in verse one. Seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the, those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
This is God's word. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord God, in these words and in all of scripture, we wish to see Jesus. And so we ask now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would give us eyes to see his glory. Though we see dimly today, though we see dimly in this life, prepare us for the day that we will see face to face. And we pray all that in the name of Jesus, who is our savior and our God. Amen. This morning, we're going to look at these next two Beatitudes from verses seven and eight. And just like these last couple of weeks for each of them, uh, we'll first look at the attribute that Jesus is describing. Then we'll look a little bit at the blessing that goes along with it. And then finally, we'll talk about some applications or implications of what this means as we seek to live as Jesus's merciful and just people. So first, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. What does it mean to be merciful? Elsewhere, Jesus teaches two parables that really capture the essence of mercy. One of those parables is found later in in Matthew's gospel in chapter 18. And in this parable, a servant owes an unfathomable debt to his master. It would take this servant as as a laborer, as a hired worker, it would take him about 20 years of work to earn and pay back this unit of money called a talent. But this servant doesn't just owe one talent, he owes 10,000 talents. I'm not a mathematician, but that's just not gonna happen. That's not a debt that he has a chance, that's like 200,000 years of labor. He's not gonna repay that debt. But Jesus says, the master sees him, has compassion on him and forgives the whole thing. It's an amazing act. But this parable is actually known as the, the parable of the unmerciful servant. Why is that? Because having been forgiven that insanely high debt, that same servant goes out and immediately demands repayment from a fellow servant who owes him almost nothing compared to his debt. A hundred denarii would, would take about three or four months to, to earn and to repay. So it's still something, but nothing compared to 10,000 talents. And in that contrast between the master and the servant, we see something of what Jesus means when he says here in Matthew 5, blessed are the merciful. To be merciful means having compassion that forgives debts. Compassion that doesn't require repayment, that doesn't seek vengeance. The other parable Jesus teaches about this comes in Luke chapter 10. And it's known as the parable of the good Samaritan. In that parable, a Jewish man who is on a journey is robbed. Uh, He's beaten. He's left for dead along the side of the road. And sometime later, two different Jewish uh, religious leaders, a priest and a Levite, they happen by. And in those moments, either for just utter lack of concern or, or perhaps a fear that touching this man would make them unclean and keep them from doing their religious duties, they keep on walking. They pass by. But then a Samaritan a group of people that were just utterly despised, thought to be deplorable from the Jewish people. A Samaritan comes down the road and instead of passing by, he takes care of this man. He applies first aid. He puts him on his own donkey, takes him into town and nurses him back to health. And then when the Samaritan has to leave and go elsewhere, he pays out of his own pocket for some continued care. And Jesus says, as he's answering this question in that parable, he says, that's what it looks like to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's to show the mercy that the Samaritan showed. It's not to pass by, but to meet needs. 
And so bringing these two parables together, this attribute of being merciful means having the kind of compassion that both forgives debts and relieves suffering. Compassion that that forgives debts and relieves suffering. And those who have this kind of compassion, those who are merciful are blessed, Jesus says, for they shall receive mercy. What does that blessing mean? Well, first, it's about receiving mercy, not from other people, but receiving mercy from God. The blessings in these Beatitudes, all throughout the Beatitudes, are about our relationship with God and the blessings that we receive from him. And so Jesus is not saying here in verse 7 that if you show mercy to others, they'll show mercy to you. Now, that might be true. It's at least probably more likely that if you're merciful to someone else, they'll be merciful to you. And that teaching is maybe in the same vein of the golden rule of, of doing unto others as you would have them do to you. But it's not this blessing Jesus is talking about here in verse seven. He's talking about the mercy you and I receive from God. Once we establish that, it can be tempting to read this as cause and effect. Like if I show mercy to someone else, that's going to cause God to be merciful to me. And we can actually do some of the same thing when we uh, pray the Lord's prayer together, as we did a little while ago. When we pray the line, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors, that can sound initially when we hear it like cause and effect. Like God is waiting to see what we're going to do first before determining what he is going to do. But I hope you already know this. And in case you don't, I hope you hear this this morning. That's the exact opposite of the gospel. It's the exact opposite of the good news of the kingdom of God. The gospel is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's that while not one of us was good or righteous or forgiving or merciful, before we had any of those character qualities, God forgave us. God showed us mercy. It's like in the parable of the unmerciful servant. The the master didn't start by first waiting to see how that servant would treat his fellow servant. He first just said to to this servant, you know that unfathomable, unrepayable debt? It's all forgiven. It's all forgiven. When it comes to mercy, really when it comes to everything in life, God is not responding to our works. We are always responding to God's. So how then should we read this beatitude? How should we read this? Not as causation, but as confirmation. Not as causation, but as confirmation. Our mercy does not cause God's mercy, but our mercy, the way that we show mercy to other people, it confirms that we have really grasped and we have really received God's mercy for us. If God's mercy to us doesn't make us merciful to others, then it really means like the unmerciful servant that we have completely missed it. We've completely missed it. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it like this. What makes me merciful is the grace of God, but the grace of God does make me merciful. So it comes to this, Lloyd-Jones says, if I am not merciful, there is only one explanation. I have never understood the grace and mercy of God. I am outside of Christ. I am yet in my sins and I am unforgiven. On the other hand, when, when we are merciful, when we do act mercifully, toward others, that's evidence that we are in Christ, that our hearts and our lives have been affected, have been transformed by him. So what Jesus is saying here is not causation, but confirmation of identity. Showing mercy confirms that we have received God's mercy for ourselves. And it confirms that we're going to continue to receive mercy from God. 
showing God's mercy, so showing mercy confirms that we really are and are becoming Jesus's merciful people. So how can we begin to apply this? Well, there's a lot that we could say about this beatitude this morning, but the application I want to focus on is to see yourself in the people you serve. See yourself in the people you serve. One of the biggest hindrances, the obstacles to to living a merciful life, to having this kind of compassion that both forgives debts and relieves suffering is our inability to see ourselves in other people. When someone else's life is broken, when their life's pretty messy, and we forget that, that sin has made and makes our lives pretty broken and messy too, we're gonna remain distant rather than coming near to those people, than coming alongside them. Or when our sin patterns feel more respectable, when they feel maybe less, less shocking externally, and we start to rank order those sins in our mind, we're gonna find ourselves being way more judgmental than we are compassionate. This is true for me. I would imagine it's true for you if you get a chance to think about it. But some of the most merciful people I have ever met are people who Jesus has rescued from unbelievable brokenness and sin. Some of the people who lead uh, local and global mercy and mission efforts for the Liberty Communion, this small family of churches that we're part of, Vito Baldini and Angelo Giuliani, they've got some stories, right? They've got some stories. They have been some places and they have come through some stuff and they've never forgotten it. They've never forgotten. They've never been able to get over the kind of mercy that God has shown them. And Christian, I want you to hear this morning, that is your story too. That is your story. Every single one of us, maybe not with the same visible external ripple effects, but this is your story. Even if you have never been materially poor, you are poor in spirit. Even if you've been addicted to more respectable things like success or work or a good reputation, or if your preferred escapes are more respectable escapes, right? When you get stressed, you turn to entertainment or social media rather than drugs or alcohol or something like that. Or if your idols have been more respectable idols like security and comfort, well, at the end of the day, you and I are still addicts, escapists, and idolaters. And thanks be to God, we are those who have received mercy. This is our story. And this God willing is gonna be the story of the people that we cross paths with with, and we get a chance to serve. So see yourself in them. See yourself in them. Tim Keller writes in Ministries of Mercy, when a Christian sees prostitutes, alcoholics, prisoners, drug addicts, unwed mothers, the homeless and refugees, he knows that he is looking in a mirror. Perhaps the Christian has spent all his life in a respectable, as a respectable middle-class person. No matter, he thinks spiritually, I am just like these people. Though physically and socially, I was never where they are now. They are outcasts. I was an outcast. As we think about the, the sanctity of human life today, as we think about the fatherless, as we think about kids in, in foster care waiting to be adopted, see yourself in the people you serve. See yourself in vulnerable children, born and unborn, who need protection, who, who have every right to life, the same right to life that every other image bearer of God has, that same inherent dignity and worth. See yourself too, as, as Amy was sharing with us this morning, see yourself in the women and the couples facing unplanned pregnancy. See yourself in the man who would rather abdicate responsibility and take the easy way out 
Because most likely, if you're honest, you've at some point in your life abdicated responsibility and taken the easy way out. See yourself in the woman who's terrified and overwhelmed and facing the life-altering effects of some of her decisions. Because most likely you've been terrified when you're facing the effects of some of your decisions. Or if you haven't, you've never had a decision that's been that life-altering. It's just solely by the mercy and grace of God. See yourself in the woman or the couple that's had an abortion and is now wondering, what, what now? Is there compassion for me now? Can I talk about that with anybody? Is there mercy for me? God has been merciful to us. In Jesus, he has forgiven our debt. In Jesus, he has relieved, he is relieving our suffering. And so having received that mercy, confirm your identity by being merciful to others. See yourself in the people you serve. That's blessed are the merciful. Second, let's talk about verse eight. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. What does Jesus mean by pure in heart? Well, there's some overlap with the righteousness that we were talking about some last week. Part of what it means to be pure in heart is to be morally clean, morally free from from sin and from evil. And when Jesus here says pure in heart, he's contrasting this from a merely outward external kind of purity. The religious leaders, the, the Pharisees in Jesus's day, they were incredibly good at that kind of purity. They looked pure on the outside. But as Jesus pointed out to them many times over, inside they were unclean. Inside they were were dirty. They were defiled. And so they would do things like, like let people see them tithing from their spice rack. They wouldn't just give of their money. They'd give of their spices and they'd let people see. But they would neglect the weightier matters of actually becoming just and merciful and faithful people. On the inside, they, they, they would remain arrogant and self-righteous. They would heap these heavy burdens requiring people to do all kinds of stuff, but never lift a finger to, to help. External purity might give the appearance of a blessed life, but a truly blessed life, Jesus teaches here, are for those that are pure in heart, in heart. So that's part of this attribute that Jesus is teaching in verse eight. The other part of what it means to be pure in heart is to be single-minded, single-minded. To be pure in heart is to really be free of the the contaminants, the pollutants, which divide our heart and make us try to run in different directions after different things at the same time. The 19th century Danish theologian Soren Kierkegaard put it like this. He said, purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. And that one thing is God and his kingdom. Jesus goes on to teach later in the same sermon in Matthew chapter six, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. To be pure in heart then is to be both inwardly clean and single-minded. Inwardly clean and single-minded. Or if you wanna condense it down to a word, sincere. It's to be sincere. There's a consistency of both our internal and external lives. There's also a consistency of our devotion. And the pure in heart, the sincere are blessed, Jesus says, because they shall see God. They shall see God. What does Jesus mean by this blessing? Well, let's not miss this. To see God is the ultimate aim of our lives. 
That's what we're after. To see the face of God, what, what Christians over the centuries have come to call the beatific vision. That's the whole point. That is what we are running after for our whole life and into eternity. We are not brought into God's kingdom primarily to receive other gifts. As, as Jesus is teaching in the Beatitudes, there are many blessings that come at when we become citizens of the kingdom of God. But the blessing is God himself. It's that we get God. We get to dwell in perfect communion with God. It's that we get to see God. We get to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord forever. In this life, we see God with the eyes of faith. With the eyes of faith. The author of Hebrews says of Moses, by faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of Pharaoh, for he endured, and here's the key line, as seeing him who is invisible. That's the eyes of faith. It's to see him who is invisible. In this life, we don't get to see the face of God. Not even Moses for all of his special relationship that he had with God that we studied together this past fall. Not even he got that. But we do see God with the eyes of faith in his creation, in what he's made. We do see God with the eyes of faith in his providence, the way he directs the events of history, the way he directs our lives. We do see God in the ways that we sense his presence with us, his nearness to us. The apostle Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 13, that seeing God now with these eyes of faith is really the rehearsal. It's really the, the preparation for the main event that will happen when Jesus comes again. Paul writes, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall, shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. In this life, we, we can only see God with the eyes of faith, but then we will get to see with our own resurrected eyes. Then we will get to see God face to face. As John goes on to write about God's people in Revelation 22, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. But only the pure in heart, Jesus says, will see God. No one can stand before God unless they have this single-mindedness, unless they are inwardly clean. As Nate led us in, in liturgy this morning from Psalm 24, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And the author of Hebrews goes on to write that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. No one will see the Lord. And so the application here of this beatitude it's going to seem counterintuitive. So I'm going to ask you to hang with me for just a second. But the application of this beatitude is to stop doing mercy and justice in your life. Stop trying to add mercy and justice as a thing that you do in your life. Probably we're not expecting me to say that as an application in a month where we're talking all about mercy and justice, having partners come in, talk about all the things we can do. Okay, hang with me. In a way, it's exactly what I'm saying because that's actually like trying to take pieces of fruit and glue them to a branch and then call it a fruit tree. Instead, become a merciful and just person from the heart. Instead, let sincerity be the thing which propels you and I off of the sidelines and into a whole life of mercy and justice. Right? Impurity of heart is a massive obstacle to showing mercy. Right? Impurity of heart sidelines us from showing mercy to other people. For one thing, it sidelines us because when we're not single-minded, 
When our hearts, when our minds are divided and we're trying to seek God's kingdom and something else at the very same time, acts of mercy and justice can only ever be these kind of back burner, add-on, optional kind of things. When we miss on, on mercy and justice, it's almost always by omission. Is it not? It's almost always by omission. Like most of us are not actively trying to exploit and oppress other people. If that's you, man, I'd love to talk with you about that. Uh, we probably got some stuff that would be helpful to talk about there. And there's mercy for you, but that's not most of us. Most of us just miss opportunities. Most of us avoid opportunities or we crowd our lives so full of other things because we're double-minded that we don't even see the opportunities. Either way, the mercy and justice doesn't happen. We keep saying someday, someday we'll get to that. And then the someday never comes. But impurity of heart is also an obstacle to showing mercy because Satan is always trying to leverage your impurity, my impurity, to keep us on the sidelines. Right? When our hearts are impure, when we feel that, the shame and the guilt and the condemnation that we experience it affects our ability to come alongside other people with a, with a confident kind of compassion. Our impurity can make us feel completely inadequate. If I'm indulging the sin of lust, for example, I might back really far away from people who are in situations where a lot of mercy needs to be applied to their own sexual brokenness, their own sexual sin. Or if I'm constantly angry and getting impatient with my kids, I might back really far away from other people who need even more patience than they're going to need. Right? See, in a way, the, these two beatitudes go together. They go together. On the one hand, we won't show mercy if we can't see ourselves in the people we serve. If we feel superior to them or self-righteous to them. But if Satan can't drag us into that ditch, he's more than happy to drag us into the ditch on the other side of the road that we're so inferior, that we're so messed up. What business could we have helping and serving other people? The shame of our impurity makes it hard to believe that God could ever use me, could ever use my life for significant things. And so if we're ever gonna be Jesus's merciful and just people and not live on the sidelines of this, we need to be pure in heart. We need to be pure in heart. And here's the good news, Liberty Church. What you and I could never have done for ourselves, God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Here's the good news, Liberty Church. There are no pure people. There are only purified people. There are no righteous people. There are only people who have been made righteous through the finished work of Jesus. There are no adequate or sufficient people. There are only people who have found their adequacy and found their sufficiency in him. The only people God has ever used for mercy and justice in this world are impure people that he has made pure. Amen. Amen. And if you have put your trust in Jesus, if you look to his life and death and resurrection for salvation, that's you. That's you. The apostle Paul says of you that you've been washed, that you've been sanctified or made holy. It says that you've been justified. You've been declared righteous in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So in light of that, in light of that, and with this promise that you and I will one day see the face of God, fight for purity of heart. Fight to put to death the sin that remains in you. Fight for that single-minded devotion to God and his kingdom. Instead of trying to just do merciful and just things, pursue sincerity and let this sincerity propel you off of the sidelines and into a life of mercy and justice.
Friends, in Jesus Christ, you have been shown unfathomable mercy, right? We are that servant that was forgiven the, the insanely high debt. So may you always see yourself in the people you serve. May you confirm your identity by being merciful to others. And friends, in Jesus, you have been purified. So with sincerity from the heart, may you now live as a merciful and just person. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Almighty and loving God, we bless you for the gift of your word. We bless you for the gift of your mercy to us. And as we now prepare to come to this table and to see the cost of that mercy, Jesus, what you did so that our debt would be completely forgiven, we give you thanks for that. We grieve what our sin is, what it does. And we come with a lot of sobriety about that this morning, but we also come rejoicing because Jesus, while we were yet sinners, you died for us. You have been merciful to us. You have transformed us. You are transforming us into your merciful people. So I pray that as we come this morning, we would remember that and that we would receive grace by the power of your Holy Spirit to live out this new identity you have given us. Having received this mercy from you, may we be merciful. We pray that all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.